As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 119 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, do you like factlets? Factlets, they're bite-sized. They come in little packs of 18 and a rainbow of flavors. And yes, I do like factlets. And I'm guessing, is this a factlet of someone who drove in 119 runs or scored 119 uh, uh, RBIs or, or maybe had 119 hit by pitches in one season? You are on the right track uh, on the right track, this fact lit has to do with strikeouts. There have been four Giants dating back to the New York days who have had a season with exactly 119 strikeouts. You have Scott Geraltson in 89, Stu Miller in 1958, Jeff Tezro in 1912, and Hooks Wiltz in 1909. But here's the fact lit part. Scott Geraltz, Stu Miller, Jeff Tesro, the last three Giants to strike out exactly 119 a season... They all led their league in ERA. Oh, I thought you were going to say they were all bespectacled. They, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know a darn thing about Jeff Tesro. But that's the secret to leading the National League in ERA is to have exactly 119 strikeouts. Now, is that not a factlet? <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, well, gosh, is there anybody in baseball who could do that? Who could strike out 119 and win the Kyle Hendricks might be the closest. Jake McGee could probably do it in like a 40-inning season. You know, you, you can't not vote for him for uh, Cy Young if he has 119 strikeouts in 40 innings. Yeah, boy, I, who has the lowest strikeout rate? I mean, what is like the slowest you could pitch, your lowest velocity and still be an effective pitcher, non-knuckleball version? That obviously has changed. If you, if you don't throw 90 now, there's just no, you don't have a prayer. The lone holdover, I think, is, is Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, yeah. Hendricks is the one guy who might have, you know, toward the bottom and strikeout rate and still give you a shot at the ERA title. So, and yeah, that's partially a function of the uh, the fact that he plays for a team that traditionally has been a fairly good defensive team. I mean, with Javi Baez in the middle of that 
Cubs infield. But you know what? That, that's going to be kind of an interesting thing because this Giants staff, at least from a starting standpoint, Kevin Gossman may be aside, probably won't be a huge strikeout staff. And yet, ooh, the defense has not been so good. So that could be kind of something to watch this season. It's a funny combination. It's a funny combination. I do think you're underrating uh, uh, Logan Webb's Cy Young season because, you know, clearly he's going to win the Cy Young this year. And we, we're all clear on that. But you're right. It's a little bit more pitch to contact than other teams. It's still not as pitch to contact as like it would have been in 1988. I mean, there still are quite a few strikeouts. But, you know, it's, this is the Giants rotation. They are not going to blow you away. But they do have a couple bat missers. I don't know. It's a fascinating mix. So I guess we should back up, and uh, since our last podcast record, we do kind of know what the rotation is and in what order they'll pitch. It'll be Kevin Gossman on opening day, April 1, against the Marineros of Seattle, followed by Johnny Cueto, and then Logan Webb will open as the third starter, which I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is, you know, to give him basically his plaudits uh, for, for having a great spring. But also, I think they like DiSclafani's stuff against uh, the Padres, who, who they'd face in the next series. And they may be shifting him over and, and giving Webb, they really want him to have a good start uh, at the outset of the season, I think, because his confidence is going to be so important. So not to say anything disrespectful about the Mariners, but I think if you had to pick a weaker lineup, you'd pick the Mariners over the Padres. So I think part of that is getting him off to as good a start as possible. And part of it is moving him up in the rotation to reward him for just having an awesome, awesome spring. It really has been a transcendent spring for him. You couldn't have drawn it up better. It's easy to get too excited about a spring training performance and and then it takes like one bad start to to shake you out of that fog, but Webbs was just that good. The changeup, like he came in to work on the changeup, to work on command, it worked. It all worked. Uh, Kirk Casale was blown away. He says, this guy, this guy has stuff. He's got a Luis Castillo's changeup. This is going to play. This is going to play. And at the start of the spring, it was, well, is he going to be the fifth starter? Maybe not. They brought in competition. You have Alex Wood. You have Scott Kazmir. You have Aaron Sanchez. And it was clear about halfway through spring, no, he's in the rotation and he has a, a chance to stick there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it did help that uh, Aaron Sanchez did show a little more, I guess, endurance in his last couple outings, um, or at least he was trending in the right direction. And Alex Wood, it doesn't sound like he's going to be very far off uh, with his um, the, the back procedure that he had to ablate a nerve in his lower back. So that may be still a bit of a race for the fifth starter, but I think that it's probably... Um, you'd have to guess it's Aaron Sanchez at this point. But you're right. I think that those guys were brought in not only to push Logan Webb, but to put the Giants in a position where they didn't have to start Logan Webb in the rotation if they didn't think he was ready uh, because they would have other options. And lo and behold, he showed that he gave every indication that he will be ready. So that's a good situation for them to be in because we know that starting depth is still not exactly their cup of tea, and it's going to be pretty darn important for all teams this year. So if Logan Webb can hold down a spot every fifth day, that's going to be a pretty big big deal because he's probably much less injury prone knock on wood than some of the other guys in the rotation. I'm actually writing about this right now. It should publish uh, a Monday afternoon, but it is the Giants rotation depth. They've built a pitching staff that is, I don't know if they tried to do it because of the, the weird mutant pandemic season and now you're ramping up to 162 games. If they tried to build a quantity of quality, but I was reading an Eno Saris article, okay? It's 10 bold predictions for the 2021 MLB season. The first bold prediction of Eno's is the Mets finally have enough depth to go all the way, right? 
and there's a table in there, and it's teams with the best pitching depth. And it's to prove his point that the Mets have the depth, right? They have 21 above average pitchers more than anything or more than any team in baseball. The Giants second with 20, and he defines above average as pitchers projected for an ERA less than 4.5, right? The league ERA last year was 4.45. So this is league average or better, the projections. The Giants are number two with 20. It goes Mets, Giants, Rays, Braves, A's, Padres, Astros, Dodgers, Cubs, Twins. The Giants are up there. It blew me away, so I had to write about it. It kind of reminds me of a stat I saw a while back, and I can't exactly remember which one it was. It might have been WRC+, Plus or but it was one of those stats that showed, you know, basically offensive production and what you should get from the, from you know a, a given player and the Giants had like 11 players who, who crossed the threshold and granted this isn't like an all-star level of production but I think there's only one or two teams that had more players that project to produce for as much offensive value and so I mean yeah the Giants you know they had Mike Yastrzemski have a you know eighth in the MVP balloting last year he had a very good season they don't have another star level player they don't have anybody who's going to hit you know 30 home runs or drive in 100 runs or probably you know be a first-round pick in your fantasy league. I think, you know, when we drafted the other day, Kevin Gossman was the first giant taken, and he went about 220th overall or something. Uh, it wasn't that late. It was in the hundreds, I think. But, yeah, it, it occurred to me, like, oh, that, that's the first giant off the board. Ooh, that's, that's a sign the team I cover is not going to be good. But <laughs> if they are able to deploy uh, people to their strengths and use a lot of that depth, and maybe that production for one all-star player comes from three different guys, what's the difference, right? I mean, who cares how the sausage is made? You're just limited by how many people you can carry on the roster and how many moves you can make in a given game. But I think that this is a team that if if they're really managed in a proper way and, and they can stay healthy, they will get more production than you would imagine from a given position because they'll get it from multiple sources instead of just like one really awesome Ronald Acuna source. I have another link, and this is from MLB.com's Mike Pitriello, whose name I've never said out loud before, so I hope I didn't butcher that. But uh, he has a table in his. It's it's uh, The article is every team's strategy to cover innings in 2021, right? It's going to be, everyone's going to be obsessed with how to manage the workload of 162 games after a 60-game season. He has a table in there. Percentage of 2021 projected innings from pitchers with a with an FIP below five, right? So pitchers with an FIP below five. The Giants have projected 99% of their innings coming from pitchers with a field independent pitching, uh, it's kind of like ERA, below five. The Dodgers have 100%. The Padres have 100%. The Giants have projected 99%. Braves, Rays, Yankees. Like, it, it's weird. Like, they have this quantity of quality. And Mike, in the middle of it, says, wait, look to the top. The Reds? The Giants in italics? And I think it's kind of the strategy. Just, yeah, however you're getting those innings, as long as you're not getting blown out every game, maybe you give yourself a chance to win. And we know that it's going to be different, too. If we play too much into what happened last year, I think that we run the risk of having some false conclusions just because we forget that the teams face the same teams over and over and over again. And we know that the Giants are still going to face the Padres 19 times. They're still going to face the Dodgers 19 times, right? Those those divisional games are unavoidable. But they also didn't play the Pirates last year. They didn't play the, the Reds last year. They didn't play the Marlins or the Braves last year. And, uh, you know, and obviously a whole lot of games against teams like the, the Astros that they won't see again. So it is going to be, I think, interesting to see how all of this plays out with teams going outside their division and playing a regular schedule again. That's an excellent point. Uh, insofar as 
the Giants' soft spot, right, in the division in a season like that is supposed to be the Rockies. Well, half the time you play the Rockies is at Coors Field, and that that's not easy. I don't care how terrible the Rockies are. That's just, that's a weird place to play, and weirdness is going to happen. That's not a gimme. That's not 18 games against the Pirates. That's still, you know, nine games in Coors Field. That's their gimme. The Diamondbacks, that's their gimme. I think the Diamondbacks are a lot more talented than they, they've been given credit for. So, you're right. Get the the Giants playing the the Pirates and and you know whatever other bad teams. I I'm not sure who is the, are the Pirates really the only like terrible team in the National League now. Um, I mean Rockies, I, I guess I, I would say the Rockies. Yeah, I, you look at the Rockies and some of their starting pitchers are actually pretty good. But yeah, <laughs> I think it'd be yeah. the just looking at the Vegas odds. You can see the who you have to you know to get the biggest payoff for betting a hundred bucks to win the World Series, and and basically it's the Rockies and Pirates and you know St. Louis Browns are apparently. Uh, <laughs> and not necessarily in that order. You look at uh, two of the big pitchers that are coming into the NL West, Trevor Bauer and Yu Darvish, and both of them are great pitchers. They're elite talents. This isn't saying that they're going to be tomato cans in the NL West, but maybe their numbers were a little bit better than they otherwise would be because they faced all the central teams all year last year, and nobody hit in the in the central. And that could be a function of how good the pitching was, but it also could have been a function of just how not so great the hitting was up and down uh, those central teams. So even some of the star level guys didn't really hit in the central, like Kristen Yelich. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when a Bauer, a Darvish has to go, you know, face a, a full slate of, of different teams again. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I always forget that Darvish is on the Padres. I keep thinking yeah. about the Blake Snell trade. And then I was I was doing research for, for my fantasy draft and, and Darvish popped up pretty early. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's on the yeah, Padres. That, yeah, he's that's also probably really not going to be great. One of his press conferences earlier this year, somebody asked him uh, after one of his first spring outings, I said, how many different pitches did you throw in your two innings? And he stopped and he paused and he kind of held his fingers out and he was counting his fingers. And this went on for about 10 seconds. And then he looked up and he said, seven? <laughs> and I loved it. I loved it. It was just great because he said it in this way that was so kind of cheeky but without being cheeky. I love the guy. He's just got a great personality. Uh, he, he'd be, there's, there's always those guys out there. You're like, oh, I'd love to cover that player someday. I'd love to cover you, Darver, someday. He's got a real wry sense of humor, and it comes across sometimes on Twitter, but that's perfect. Yeah, seven pitches? I don't know. He's, he's throwing whoopsie doodles and, and, you know, cutters and reverse cutters. I mean, he's he is fun to watch unless he's doing that against your team and doing it well. And the Padres, I just look at the depth. I mean, you have uh, Morajon is, is their fifth starter right now because Lamette is out. That's ridiculous depth. That is, they have enough talent to really do something and... The weird thing is, is I'm not sure that that's the best team in the division. And Lamette is not going to be out for long. I think that he's probably only going to miss a turn or two in the rotation, potentially. I mean, he's already starting Cactus League games toward the end. So, yeah, that's a pretty nice guy you can plug in. Yeah, the Padres are ridiculous. You know, they've got Grisham, they've got Cronenworth, they've got Manny Machado, they've got, you know, Hosmer's still nobody you, you sneeze at. He's a dangerous hitter. And they've got Will Myers, who kills the Giants anyway, no matter where you put him. So... I believe he even hit a homer off him already this spring. So, you know what, though? As tough of a challenge as those games are going to be, aren't they going to be fun? Wouldn't you rather tune in to see a Giants-Padres game than a Giants-Diamondbacks game? Of course you would. 
Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing. I mean, you always know the Giants are going to get up for the Dodgers games. And the Padres being good, I think, is, I don't know, maybe I'm I'm getting soft or I'm becoming too writerly, but I'd like it when the other team is good. Maybe in the past I would have preferred four patsies in the division, but... It's just a lot more entertaining to watch a team like this. And yeah, the Rockies, when they come to San Francisco, I don't want to watch that. I mean, you know, bless their their little hearts, but that's going to be really, really rough. I'm looking at their lineup right now. You have Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman in the middle, but then you have like CJ Krohn, Sam Hillier, Josh Fuentes... I don't know. That doesn't seem like a team that can hit it in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, you always have Rymel Tapia. You never know what he's going to do. And you never know if Dave Fleming is going to accidentally call him Rymel Tilapia on the broadcast. It's been known to happen. <laughs> oh, man. I uh, I intentionally avoided saying his name because I was sure I was going to botch it. So, yeah, no, perennial fantasy pick of mine because I always assume he's going to steal 30 bases and score 100 runs. Has not happened yet. I probably will draft him again because I am a fool. Yeah, I, I do that too. Last year I got I got uh, sold on Jonathan VR, and then I would start him and gnash my teeth every time I would start him in the outfield and sit a better outfielder. So I, I decided not to do that this year. I went for incremental speed at all positions, and nobody, uh, there's no overdrafting for any Adalberto Mondesis for me this year. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's take a look at this opening day lineup. The Giants are obviously going to platoon a lot. You're going to see Wilmer Flores and Evan Longoria and Austin Slater against left-handers, and you're going to see a different lineup against right-handers. But it's not going to impress anyone looking from outside the organization. It's not going to impress, like, if you're going to a Mets fan and you're showing them, here's the, the 12 players the Giants are going to have to mix and match with, they're not going to be impressed. At the same time, there's not, like, a bad hitter in there and then that even extends to the backup catcher like the backup catcher is pretty okay you know for a catcher especially this is another area where the giants have a quantity of quality you know i just look at the first guy they've got leading off in their final game in arizona and it's austin slater and like you said you could go to a mets fan and say what do you know about austin slater and they could say, well, I, I loved him on Saved by the Bell. They wouldn't know anything about Austin Slater. Nobody knows anything about Austin Slater. But he's a guy who at least was on a pace last year to be like a 30-30 player. I mean, he's aggressive. He's maybe asking him to play center field is, is obviously stretching things a little bit. But I think he, he won't hurt you in an outfield corner. He's a guy who's a heady player. Uh, he's learned the strike zone. And really, we saw those kind of plate appearances up and down the lineup and even from guys that didn't really have that in their toolkit last year, like Mauricio Dubon. 
And they've got a lot of different people that could bat lead off and, and or bat in the in the two hole. And that's always a good thing to, because you want to be able to get traffic on the base pass. That's how you tax pitchers. That's how you create opportunities. You know, it seemed like some of the bad Giants offensive teams that we've seen over the years are teams that would start rallies with two outs and then they wouldn't go anywhere. And this is a team that has a lot of guys that you want to lead off an inning. And the one thing I think is going to be difficult for them is there's not a ton of team speed in the, in the middle of the lineup and lower portions of the lineup outside of Dubon and, and maybe Slater. And they're going to have a lot of contact-oriented guys, so I can see a double-play fiesta at times this year. But that's why they're going to, I think, start runners. And we saw, oh, all the bases they stole. I don't think they stole all those bases in spring training to try to steal bases. I think they were working on getting reads and getting jumps because they're probably going to start runners to stay out of double plays primarily. That makes a lot of sense. And... I do want to like pump the brakes a little bit on Austin Slater because I get so like all spring I've just been like Logan Webb, Austin Slater, Austin Slater, Logan Webb, Logan Webb, Austin Slater. And I have to stop myself because, the you know, I'll, A, I'll write something that will embarrass me in, in July or something. And the commenters will, will yell at me because I, I feel like I'm making too much of a deal about Austin Slater's spring. But. I love the spring he's had. I love the swings he's taking. When he's hitting home runs, it's with this really short, controlled swing. And he he pumped one out to center field. That just, it impressed the heck out of me. It's just such a short, quick, controlled swing. And, and with his idea of the strike zone, like, I'm worried I'm making too much of it. He is a guy who's in and out of the strike zone sometimes, and, and but when he's going well, his bat is, is in the zone longer. He's a guy who made some pretty big swing changes and then didn't get a ton of plate appearances and then was hurt and didn't get a chance to really implement a lot of those swing changes. So, you know, I think you may be seeing a guy now who's getting a little more comfortable and has more confidence, you know, having an approach that he has evidence now that will work for him. And it's not a huge, you know, pool of evidence, but I think it's enough to give him kind of the mental edge to stick with it and to uh, and maybe to to find a way to take off from here. You know, not saying that this is a guy who's going to be, you know, have a, a huge you know, all-star type, you know, late career surge, but he definitely looks like a solid regular player. And I think he might be the guy that's going to be the biggest challenge for Gabe Kapler if he's hitting to set aside some of the platooniness and really give everyday at-bats to someone. And we saw they're willing to do that. They did it with Mike Yastrzemski when he said, hey, I'm more than a platoon type player. And uh, I I think given some of the at-bats we've seen against right-handers, especially from Slater over the spring, I could see that happening. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. And one thing I, I always forget is that toward the end of 2019, Slater looked like he was going to be an everyday player. He came up on July 1st in 2019. Uh, he, in his first 48 games, he hit 281 with a 396 on base percentage, a 529 slugging percentage. He had five home runs. He looked outstanding. And so you start September and on September 1st, his OPS is 925. And you're thinking, finally, the Giants have an outfielder, someone they can trust, someone they've developed and turned into a starter. That September was one of the worst Septembers in history. And that's not hyperbole. He hit 128 in 48 at-bats, 128 with a 146 on base percentage, one walk, 19 strikeouts. He was broken. He was just like a broken player and it was easy to forget. Eh, you know, he's just depth. And and he had a month that was so bad, it undid all of the goodwill he had built up until that point. Then last year he comes and he, like you said, he was on pace kind of for a 30-30 season in a 162-game season. So maybe we're making too much of that one bad month. Maybe overall, just he's been an excellent hitter now for two straight seasons. I tend to sometimes wash out someone who has a really bad stretch like that because 
how many instances do you think there are of a guy who is 26, 27 years old, he's already been up and down AAA a couple years, you know, he's, he's still got options, but you could definitely see a little of the sunlight closing on, on the out of that window. You got to go and, and you got to produce now if you're going to try to get to any point where you can make some money in this small slice of baseball career that you have in your life. And that is going to mean that maybe you're not always telling the truth and you're going out there and you're playing hurt or you're trying to play through something and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. I mean, who's to say that Austin Slater wasn't dealing with a, a shoulder that was just, you know, grinding him down that wasn't allowing him to get off his best swing at all. And part of being a good player is is having that durability and being able to compete through, you know, being nicked up. I think that's one thing we've always undersold uh, the value of Brandon Crawford being able to do that. You don't know what was going on with him in that month. It could have been dealing with something mentally. It could have been dealing with something physically. You know, it's just, I think you call it a small sample for a reason because, you know, not only does the math not necessarily project out in any small sample, but you don't know what someone's dealing with that might be absolutely unique to that small sample. Austin Slater, in his career, he has 1,003 plate appearances in AAA. That is a lot, That's a lot. of AAA plate yeah. appearances. And you don't want to go down. You don't want to go back there. Sacramento is a fine place, but it, it, boy, that is a lot of time in Sacramento. And his OPS in AAA, 922. Like, he's hit in AAA. He's hitting AAA. He's hitting the majors, except for that one month in September 2019. So when I see a spring like this, I just get a little excited. And you're right. It's going to be tricky to keep him in that platoon role if he just keeps hitting and hitting and at that point who are you pushing out of the lineup because you're not going to sit Dickerson against right-handers uh, you're definitely not going to sit Yastrzemski I guess you can sit uh, uh, Dubone but that would be uh, weird on the defense I, it's going to be strange to see how this plays out and, and to see how Kapler handles it well I mean we'll see what what happens with Evan Longoria at third base you could always you know if he's not able to play third base or if he hits the injured list at some point you know he's getting a little older uh, he had a great spring with the bat I mean it's uh, but we obviously know they're only going to have a DH for that first series and then like six or seven more AL games. So, yeah, you know, you could have Dubon as, as someone who could slide in at third base if Longoria has to take some time off. You know, the one thing that, that really limits Slater's options is that they aren't having him play anywhere on the infield dirt this year, which I think is probably partly a concession to try to keep him healthy, just to have him focus on one thing defensively. But you're right. I mean, you're not going to sit Mike Yastrzemski. He's your best offensive player. And you're not going to want to sit Alex Dickerson against right-handers, which is the you know healthy part of a platoon, because he's a guy who can really redirect the baseball. When he gets hot, he's probably more capable than anybody of carrying a whole team when he gets hot. So yeah, I think you're looking at, uh, at, at opportunities in center if Slater can sort of prove himself there uh, against right-handers potentially. And that would mean that, uh, you know, maybe uh, Dubon is, is a guy who takes a seat a little more often because he's another right-handed matchup against a righty. Or uh, maybe you can find another spot for him on the infield, uh, you know, to, to rest Crawford, to rest Longoria. Now, let me ask you a question. Are the only two platoon free players, meaning the players who are just going to hit and be everyday players regardless, Mike Yastrzemski, Buster Posey, is that it? Or is Crawford sneak in there? Does Donovan Solano sneak in there? I mean, which players are going to be mixed and matched and which players are just going to be written in a lineup every day? Yeah, I think that there's probably going to be some sort of soft platoons at a lot of different spots. I mean, second base, who knows? It's it, they're gonna they could play anybody there. You know, you got Listella, you've got Dubon could play there, you've got Solano. 
But, you know, I, I would say that sort of the harder platoons would be, I expect that Alex Dickerson won't start against lefties. I expect uh, Brandon Belt, I think, will take more days off against lefties. Maybe not all of them. Just those named Kershaw. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I, I could see Crawford taking more days off targeted toward lefties, but not necessarily sitting against all lefties. It's just sort of, you know, working in his days off to where they make sense. And and that's what we've seen uh, Bruce Bochy do with Buster Posey for years, right? I mean, he would try to pick those Either the if it was a day game and then a, a night game before and you knew Buster would take one off, you'd probably have him start the game with the lefty. Or if Bumgarner was starting one of the games, he'd probably catch Bumgarner because Bumgarner would probably tromp into Bochy's office and say, why isn't Buster in there? You know, otherwise. <laughs> so so now that, that consideration is kind of out the window because the backup catcher is another right-handed hitter and a right-handed hitter that that honestly is, is a fairly decent offensive player. So, you know, that really, I think, will allow Buster and the coaching staff to, you know, really sort of be responsive to how he feels physically and let that dictate the decisions on when he takes days off. And, you know, I I do think there also will be maybe a little bit of a push to find a really good pairing that Kirk Casale has where he gets results out of a specific pitcher. Uh, And then, you know, you have maybe him catch one guy semi-regularly because that just allows for a little more continuity uh, which I think is probably more important than ever, given just how complicated the game has become, and everyone's wearing wrist guards and second sets of signs that everybody except Zach Greinke needs to know. And you know, it, pr- it probably does make a little more sense for for Casale to to sort of have a regular pairing with somebody. Yeah, it might be uh, Desclafani because the, they have the history together. Uh, yeah. from the Reds. Good call. At the same time, maybe uh, Casale was the problem last year. I may <laughs> that Kurt Casale. No one looks at him, but he's the problem. <laughs> All right. This has been episode 119 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. That That's a lot of podcasts. We've been doing this for, for a while now. 119. It's a plethora of podcasts. A plethora. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we will be back shortly. We, we This is when we start our two-a-week, isn't it? Yeah. we. Ha- you just said the plethora of podcasts. Now we're at a, a two-a-week podcast. So you, Two a week? You get double dose of Bags and Brisby. From this point double forward. Double dose of Bags and Brisby. But then on Wednesday, I start a new podcast with Hunter Pence. And so you get so much Brisby in your ears <laughs> if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. So, wow. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Do you need to say something else about this? I mean, you're, you're doing a podcast with Hunter Pence. That's pretty ridiculously awesome. It's weird. It's it's really awesome and weird. And I, I, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. The last 10 years have been a blur. Uh, I was like renting out apartments 10 years ago. Now I'm doing a podcast with Hunter Pence. I think it's impressive enough. I'm doing a podcast with you. Dang it. Like, you know, I grew up reading you. Um, not to make you sound older than me. But. I was going to say, let me, let me mix my Metamucil. <laughs> All right. This has been episode 119 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Thursday. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>